Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today we had Mayor Fred Eisenberger in studio for the Mayor's Town Hall where we discussed everything from LRT to the Red Hill and answered your questions for the Mayor. Also, the SNC-Lavalin story continues to fester in Ottawa. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To begin with, right off the top, it's the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us. And... Uh, uh, with no shortage of things to talk about with the mayor, and of course your questions and your comments. Good morning, good to see you again, Mr. Mayor. Uh, likewise, Bill. Good to uh, see you. Great cup bid. Uh, oh, I, I, was, I just mentioned to our, our listeners. I said, "Yeah, well, you know all about the bid. We don't know everything about the bid, uh, and we're not supposed to at this stage." Uh, are you confident? I mean, have you had any discussions? I know that the, there's a lot of work by staff and, and everybody who's been involved in this to try to put this thing together. Well, I'm confident we have a good bid, and uh, you know it's up up to the CFL to make their decision as to uh, which which city, Montreal, Regina, or uh, or Hamilton, gets the bid this time around. And uh, certainly, we'd like to uh, like to have the Great Cup in Hamilton. That's why we uh, participated in the with the the Tiger Cats. I think they put their best foot forward. Uh, you know, the concept that I've seen was. Uh, a very, uh, very dynamic, interesting, uh, you know, open, open concept in terms of the uh, the game itself, and then of course there's the uh, three or four day festival that goes with that. So it's the biggest sporting event in the, in in Canada. Uh, we've had it here before. Uh, it's been a while since it's been here, so I'm uh, I'm eager to have it back, and all the football fans will be thrilled if if the answer is yes today, and I'm hopeful that it is. It's a, it's a different animal. It's a, apples and oranges, really. Again, 1996, the last time the game was here. Uh, the football team was, uh, you know, on uh, tentative grounds. Uh, the, the league was almost bankrupt, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is a whole different thing. I've had, I had the pleasure of attending, I think, the four of the last five Grey Cups in different cities. And uh, th- I don't want to belittle the game because it's a championship and it's a big game itself, but it's almost the game itself is secondary to the festival that takes place. And, and that's really the sell for this thing. It's an event. Uh, and you know what? They're, uh, they're, they're, the game, uh, you know, obviously is, a, is the climax of the whole piece. But, uh, you know, the whole week leading up to it, the festival events that they uh, create, the uh, the the, uh, the additional sport the sporting activities they do uh, right throughout the community uh, is all part of the event and they've ta- they've taken it and really made it uh, super bullish I could I, I could say yeah. not not on the on the same scale but certainly on the same kind of uh, importance and uh, you know their television coverage is uh, spectacular now so they've really really stepped up and made it uh, something that people can get excited about so I remember you know the uh, the previous Great Cups back in the day it was basically a one game affair uh, you know everybody got together and watched the game in one day and it was all over. Uh, that's not the case anymore, and uh, I think uh, it has good economic value. Some, some, you know, estimated thirty-two million dollars would be spent by people that are coming to visit to participate in the game. That's to the benefit of you know the restaurants and the hotels and all the businesses uh, in our city. So uh, you know, there's th- those are the reasons why you actually participate in these kinds of events to bring that kind of economic activity to our community. So. Um, the CFL's done a great job, and uh, if we can be successful in uh, winning this bid, I think it'd be great for Hamilton. Well, and, and you know the, the tide has turned here in this city. I mean, we've got the Canadian Open again coming up this year at Hamilton Golf and Country Club, some other great events, and, and uh, it just seems as if Hamilton is on the map in, in a whole lot of different ways right now. I mean, you know, we've talked about this renaissance that's happening, and, and word of that obviously seems to be spreading right around the country, and I'm kind of hoping the CFL wants to jump in and get on the wave too. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, in part it's, re- it's because we have such great event uh, organizing staff, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think they're, they're now recognized as being a, a deliverer of a smooth event. The Junos, the Country Music Awards, keep coming back to Hamilton because they understand that uh, if they come to Hamilton, they're going to get a warm reception and it's going to be well organized. So a lot of the organizing falls on kind of local uh, tourism staff. Uh, they're experienced, they, uh, they know what they're doing, and they're being recognized for that. And that's why the events are, you know, largely looking at Hamilton as a place to go. I would say the economics is, uh, is also a little different between Toronto and Hamilton. So Toronto is, you know, a pretty expensive place to, uh, to host an event. And they can get the same kind of uh, attendance and same kind of, uh, you know, revenue that they could get, uh, you know, in Toronto, but uh, at lesser cost here in Hamilton. So I think we're in the kind of the right mix to, uh, to, to attract that kind of event that uh, we can host because we have the facilities, we have the know-how, we have the talent, and, uh, and Hamilton is very keen on those kind of major events uh, coming to Hamilton. Uh, one other thing I want to get to before we get to the phone calls, and, and it was a, a meeting you had yesterday, and uh, uh, Glenn Norton, of course, uh, mm-hmm. uh, from the city's economic development department, had some rather somber mm-hmm. uh, news uh, that uh, maybe did not come as uh, too much of a surprise, because I, I think a lot of us have been concerned for the longest time about uh, the provincial government's commitment to this project, notwithstanding what the premier says about, yeah, the money's there, the money's there. But they put a freeze on, on, on real estate deals, and you still have not had this meeting right now. And now Mr. Norton is telling uh, council yesterday that uh, basically a lot of the people that were supposed to be investing in, in this whole project, not so much on the project itself, but in that area, mm-hmm. uh, have decided to just kind of put everything on hold. That's, that's not a good news story. No, and I think some projects have have, have gone forward and have pointed to the prop, prop, promise of LRT is the reason why they're going forward. But others, uh, you know, want, want more certainty, a predictability in terms of the investment process. Uh, you know, what people want to do in terms of providing housing. They um, the whole the whole concept around LRT is all about redeveloping the entire corridor and providing additional housing and, and higher density, uh, you know, revenue opportunities. So. The, uh, the developer that's uh, already bought property, and I know that a lot of that has happened, which is what uh, Glenn acknowledged yesterday, um, you know, we're now kind of wondering, is, is if, are we going to get the clear 100% thumbs up from the province? So this land freeze, uh, you know, would be, and this is not just applying to Hamilton, so there's a, a kind of a misconception that this was specifically focused on Hamilton. It's not. It's across the province. So we got caught up in that. Uh, half of the properties that are required for this have already been purchased, and you can and take a drive down Main Street and see them uh, boarded up and ready to uh, to t- start getting uh, utilized for a future uh, expansion of the LRT. Uh, the other half need to be done, and that's kind of on hold right now. And so uh, I think everyone, including the folks that are doing the uh, the, the the bidding on this, three bidders out there sitting uh, sitting waiting to see, you know, with hundred percent clarity that this is going to be a live project or not yet. You know, putting their pins on the paper to uh, to do a fulsome bid because are, are you are you starting to have some doubts? No, no, I'm I, not. I know you're. No. I know you're still one hundred and ten percent behind this project. But let's face it, the province has a role to play here, and, and uh, they're, they're saying the right things, but they're not doing anything. Well, you know, and I, 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 would, I would give them, uh, you know, some credit that they're getting, getting up to speed. I mean, relatively new government, lots of projects on the go. Uh, you know, they need to, uh, you know, understand and appreciate uh, what Hamilton's about, and we're, we're doing everything we can to, uh, to let them know why this project is so important for Hamilton. So all of that education that, that the previous government had, this government now needs to be uh, made aware of. And so I'll give them credit for, you know, taking the time to, to understand and appreciate what it's all about. Uh, my, my view is that if they'd... Uh, 
worried about uh, the expenditures that were happening, and there are continuing expenditures. We're up to about $170 million of either committed, I think $117 million spent, 170 committed. Uh, you know, they would have they would have stopped it by now. And so I'm, I'm, you know, and the premier did say, and I'll hold them to this, that uh, there was an election that was had, uh, you know, not too long ago, and, and you know, LRT was pretty pretty high on the agenda, and uh, the candidate that supported it got a pretty pretty strong mandate to move forward on this. And he said, you know, you get a mandate, uh, you you you're, you're you're allowed to exercise your mandate. So all we need is a partner in in, in the province in this government that uh, that says uh, we're ready to can, to go in partnership with you, uh, City of Hamilton. You know, I, I remind everybody, and this is not a Hamilton project. This is a fully owned uh, and going to, going to be, uh, you know, totally owned by the province of Ontario. This is a, a provincial project, not unlike what they're proposing to do in Toronto, which is take on, upload the subways. This is now a project that uh, they've already in advance committed to uh, fully owning, even though someone else may operate it. They, they want to own it because they want to be able to depreciate it, which is good for their books. But... Uh, if we've seen anything <laughs> since uh, this government took office last June, mm-hmm. uh, they they seem to have a propensity for striking just about anything that the Liberals proposed or the, anything the Liberals started, and and we've seen this happen with program after program after program, uh, and and the fact that they haven't done anything here, the fact that they haven't made a commitment, the fact that they haven't responded to requests for for clarity on a number of these things, uh, makes me a little bit antsy, and it must make you a little antsy too. Well, I mean, uh, I, no, I, I would like clarity yesterday, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be patient on this one. I think uh, they, uh, they need to have the room to come up to speed on this project, and uh, you know, I'm not going to beat them up for not having uh, you know, lifted the freeze. The, the moment I meet with uh, the minister, which I, I, I anticipate will be uh, towards the end of March, uh, then, uh, you know, we'll have a, 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 certainly a frank discussion about uh, where do we go from here. Uh, you know, what, what people, you know, should know is that the, uh, the announcement when it was done uh, has, a, has an escalator. So it's a billion dollars at 2014 dollars. So it, it has a built-in escalator that accounts for inflation. So today dollars would be different than 2014 dollars. So for, for the folks that are talking about, you know, what happens to the escalating costs, well, some of that is captured in the agreement itself. Uh, and the the other is that uh, you know the province has always said that uh, if if it doesn't come in at, you know on the budgeted numbers that they could either look at the scope or look at for, look at additional money one one way or the other it's still a fully owned and and uh, managed uh, uh, project by the province of Ontario through Metrolinx, not the city of Hamilton. Yeah, but but that's one of the reasons why, of course, the council sent this letter over and saying, look, can we get some clarity on possible overruns? And and, and again, it's it's raising some concerns. And, and you heard, of course, uh, MPP Donna Skelly on this program a couple of weeks ago uh, tell me that, uh, that any overruns are going to be the responsibility of the city. Uh, and now... I don't know if that's policy. I don't know if that's your opinion. I mean, well, we know it's not policy. We know it's we know it's an opinion, and I, you know, I I appreciate that uh, MP Skelly has not been uh, you know on the same page as uh, as as I have been, and and you know basically where the rest of the city is, quite frankly, based on the recent election. So I'm hoping that uh, she'll come around to understanding that this is a very important project for the city of Hamilton. She ought to be advocating. For, for you know as much as we can get from our provincial partners rather than trying to minimize it so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we'll get together and we've met on a couple of other issues we're going to meet on this one as well and talk about how do we how do we come together and move forward on this so that we can create this wonderful benefit for the city of Hamilton it's an enduring benefit so this is a legacy for not only this government but uh, for the uh, the city of Hamilton it is going to be a win-win-win no matter how you cut it is it a concern that the, the, the MPP, the government MPP for this area, is, is not on side with the project? Is that, is that a stumbling block? 
I think it's a concern. I don't think it's an override. Uh, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, 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 this government is largely driven by Doug Ford. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he seems to be ruling the roost here. So, uh, you know, his, his words, I, I would put more stock in. Uh, he said that, uh, that Eisenberger won the election. He was an LRT candidate and uh, he got a pretty strong mandate. So, and, you know, I think Doug Ford, uh, you know, Premier kind of operates on the same basis that, uh, you know, I got the mandate to do what, uh, you know, I'm now doing. And therefore, uh, you know, you, you don't have an argument against it. So uh, I, I hold, I, I respect that view. Uh, I think uh, I think he's on the right track on that one. Uh, he's entitled to do what he's entitled to do by virtue of his election. And I think here in Hamilton, uh, the, the, the folks in Hamilton spoke pretty strongly that uh, LRT is something they want to move on. And uh, I think the premier heard that and, and is prepared to follow that line. Do you have a date in, in your mind, Mr. Mayor, uh, that, where you're going to say, hey, we're getting to a crisis point? I mean, we're already, uh, you know, there was talk a while ago, but shovels in the ground sometime this year. Apparently that's not going to happen. So I'm, I guess technically we're still we're behind schedule now. We are behind schedule for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, this government isn't the primary reason. We are also behind schedule because there was a motion about, uh, you know, unionizing the, uh, the, uh, the employees of the, the LRT line. That held it up for three or four months, and that put us behind. Uh, so they're not, they're not solely responsible for this. The only thing that isn't advancing right now is the remainder of the property acquisition. You know, the underground service work continues. The, uh, the Longwood Bridge, uh, you know, boreholes are being done there to uh, prepare for the replacement of that bridge, which is part of the project. All of that study and in- important assessment work is being done and ongoing. The only thing that isn't moving forward is the remaining land acquisition that needs to move forward. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, we, we're, we're doing everything we can. We have all of our, our, our avenues to uh, connect with the, uh, the, the premier and the ministers and the ADMs to uh, convince them that this project is, uh, is of, of vital importance for the future development of our city. And, uh, you know, we, we've got arms in the government that uh, are making those cases and we'll continue to do that. But why the holdup then? I mean, if the commitment is there from the premier that said, yeah, the, you know, the money's there, I'm blah, blah, blah. We heard, we've heard all this stuff before. But the fact is, is they're not doing anything. I mean, yeah, the freeze, as you say, is province-wide on real estate uh, acquisitions. Right. We understand that. Mm-hmm. But they have to understand as well that there's, there's an urgency to what we're trying to get done here. Uh, and this is, and he he seems to understand when it comes to Toronto Transit, but mm-hmm. with Hamilton Transit, it's just wait and see. And we're 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 laying that sense of urgency on them. Uh, you know, I can tell you that every other day we're at the premier's office saying, when when is that meeting going to happen? He promised the meeting, uh, you know, late late before Christmas, and uh, you know because of the timing and issues that didn't happen. Uh, I'm uh, I'm anxious to meet, to sit and talk, and uh, and kind of clear up some of these issues. Um, the best thing that they could do is to indicate in Hamilton that uh, that they can continue on with the property acquisition, and then it's full steam ahead. That's all we really need to hear. Uh, that's all the uh, the the bidders need to hear in terms of uh, you know them putting pencil on paper and really finalizing their bids. Uh, you know, a bid uh, to put a, a bid together for each of them probably costs three million dollars to do. So I can understand their reluctance without you know a hundred percent clarity that this is a live project. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't resolve all of these issues, but I'm certainly uh, working hard to, to try and get clarity on all of this. And the moment we do, hopefully we'll be, we'll be on a better path. There, there will be there will be an extension. I, there's no doubt there's going to be an extension on the RFP process that was scheduled to be closed by the end of March. That isn't happening, uh, so there'll be uh, there'll be a three or four month extension on that uh, required. And uh, you know that's that's just 
by nature of the the, the work that's happening now, it's just going to have to happen, and hopefully we can coordinate that with uh, with the premier discussion on on the land freeze, and then get the, get the ball rolling. Here. So much more to talk about on, on the LRT issue. Uh, I, I know we're going to get into Red Hill in just a couple of minutes too, and, and council's uh, direction towards that uh, concern over the last couple of weeks as well. But- you're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is here. Let's go right to the phones and uh, find out what's going on. Vic, thank you for holding on. How are you doing this morning? Good. You? Ah, just fam. Thanks so much. Uh, your question for the Mayor. Yes, uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, I'd just like to know why the city is not practicing what they preach when it comes to snow removal. Where I live is... Uh, they bought a school. It's going to be closed down. I imagine the developer's going to grab that property. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where, where come, is that? At? Where is that at? That's up on the West Mountain on uh, Caledon. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they do is the contractor comes. He'll clean the driveway going up into the parking lot. He'll clean the parking lot, but he leaves the whole school property. It's like four or five blocks, maybe longer, all the way around. Don't touch that. It hasn't been touched in two storms. I keep calling your office. I call my alderman's office. Yes, we're getting at it. We're getting at it. Finally, it's been two storms that they haven't cleaned it. Mm-hmm. Finally, last night, I guess in the middle of the night, they cleaned the sidewalk. Right. Uh, I'm in summertime. Uh, it's the grass is like four feet high. You have to call and call and call, and then they finally come and cut it. Uh, the kids can't even play in there in the green space there that they were supposed to put swings and slides in because the grass is so high. And when they mm-hmm. do cut it, they still can't play because there's mounds and mounds of, of dead grass there. It's, it's totally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. When the Board of Education owned it, they had, right after the storm, it was cleaned. It was cleaned by the city because they were getting paid. I guess because they're not getting paid now, it's not getting done. Uh, Vic, also all good questions. Uh, I don't have a specific answer for you. It's not one that I'm uh, familiar with, but uh, happy to dig in and find out uh, why and uh, what's going on there. So uh, you mentioned you phoned the office, my office? Yes, I did. And okay. they said uh, when we can get around to it, we'll get around to it. Like I called well, I don't. You, I don't think they would say that. But I, well, but last, I, last time I talked to you was about our street. Right. Remember uh, the uh, contractor did the street. Mm-hmm. And you said to uh, hang on the line and they'll get my number and everything. Right. One guy called me back a half hour later. Right. I haven't heard nothing from nobody since. And what what do you come on, every two weeks? What do they, no, every month. One, every month. Okay, so there you go. A month now, I haven't heard nothing from them. Well, and did they do the work? What was, no. the com- what was the complaint? Oh, the roads are all busting up uh, and the sewers are not taking water. Okay. Uh, they uh, apparently, my neighbor around the corner said that they did have uh, the alderman there and and uh, um, the paving company that did it. Right. They're looking at it. Right. And uh, but nothing's been done about it. Well, right now, I mean, nobody's going to be paving anything at this point, other than patching. Uh, you know, if there's potholes, that's uh, that's about all we're going to do at this time until the uh, until the construction season happens. So there's nothing to do at this moment, other than. Uh, encouraging people to keep their drains clear and that's something that I do on my street and I think uh, we encourage everyone in uh, in in throughout the city to uh, to ensure that their drains are free of snow to the degree that they can make them free of snow and, and ice so that uh, the water can drain properly so that's uh, that's an ongoing water, issue yeah. but if they take water when it don't matter if they're clear or not they still don't take water 
Okay. I'll let you I, go it, because there's a lot of other people want to get on the air. So, Vic, so, so, but, you know, remind me, uh, you know, I don't want your last name because I don't want you to get uh, calls, but if you can, you know, refresh or call back the office and give us a refresher on the issue, I'd be, be happy to weigh in. Okay. Thanks for the call, Thanks, Vic. Vic. Appreciate that. Uh, 905-645-3221, start 9900. The Bill Keller Show with uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. John is on the Bill Keller Show. Welcome to the program, John. Good. How are you guys? Great, Good, thanks. Thanks. Great. Anyways, I want to talk to the mayor. I think he's a Dutchman. I am. He knows yeah. about speed skating. <laughs> and in Ward 3, right beside Bernie. Yeah. A beautiful little skating rink there. Yeah, was on Wonderful. it the other day. Yep. I'll challenge it a few laps down there. <laughs> okay. But anyways, what I'm calling about, I've talked to you before, yeah. about the South Precinct Community Park at the Mini Autograph. Now, nothing's being done about it. Sorry, sorry. Say that again. I missed the first part. The uh, the precinct, stadium precinct. Yes, precinct. Yep. Community park, Dominion Grass property. Uh, the Dom Glass property. Yep. Nothing's been done. I haven't heard anything about it or anything else. In the last meeting on November twenty fifth, two thousand and sixteen, a GIC meeting, mm-hmm. a funding tra- strategy was supposed to be developed. For capital project, right. So I'm just wondering, what's the problem down there? Contamination. Do we buy a contamination site? We can't clean it up. Going to cost too much money. Something's wrong. No, I don't think so. I think I think it's just going to take time to do. I think there there are some contamination issues. There's no question about that. Uh, there that, that's going to have to be dealt with. So all of those, uh, you know, there are capital budget, uh, you know, numbers in the capital budget to remediate and uh, and and then bring it into in Sportsville. budget because I I watch it. Well, it's in the capital budget, so it would be over a number of years. And I, I don't, I mean, I, off the top of my head, I can't tell you what the numbers are, but I can certainly get back to you. So when we have our, you know, skate challenge, I'll, I'll bring all the information and get you the kind of the capital numbers and how that plays out over years. So this this whole development is going to take some time. Um, you know, there are, you know, other capital budget pressures, uh, but the plan is still to turn that into, you know, a number of sports fields that can be utilized not only for uh, practice fields for soccer. And that's, you know, one of the issues that uh, is becoming even more prevalent now with the demand for soccer and the forge, uh, you know, coming on as they are, uh, as well as uh, practice space for, uh, for the Tiger Cats if necessary. And, and then that, it's supposed to be track right. and field for Bernie Art tested students down there. Correct. Correct. So so, so all of that's in the mix and then none of that's gone. Uh, I just don't know where it sits in the capital budget right now. So I, I'd have to look at that and uh, and I can give you a you know a, a, a list of years, dates, times and numbers that they're, they're expected to uh, to do more work there. Okay. So so if you want to leave your number John or give me give the office a call at uh, 905-546-4200. Yeah. Uh, call the office and we'll set up a skating challenge. I'm I'm happy to come out and give it a whirl. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate the call. 905-645-3221. That uh, opens up a line for your question, your comment for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Dave, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Well, I keep my fingers crossed for the great cap uh, uh, coming in today. You know, I can't really see a logical reason why we shouldn't get it in 2020, but, uh, you know, we'll uh, don't want to jinx anything. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My... Questions, uh, well, two or thing, uh, just basically, you know, over a thing on the LRT. Um, you know, local, just a local minister is supposed to, or a local cabinet, or a local rep, uh, political representative in the party that represents the province, uh, normally they advocate for the city. So, mm-hmm. you know, some, some, 
some disconnect is happening here somewhere. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Um, I know the Premier is a busy man, and I know you appreciate that, and I know you're going to meet with some of his representatives. But uh-huh. I just wondered if you ever considered uh, when the Premier gets the time uh, bringing him down to the city, uh, maybe giving him a little tour of uh, the area that you want to run the LRT down with, uh, with the business leaders of the city, maybe a face-to-face with them. Uh, he may... Uh, get the, uh, you know, the light bulb may go off how really important it is to the city. Well, that's a, that's exactly the plan, uh, not only for the Premier, but for the uh, the, uh, the Deputy Ministers and for the Minister, Minister of Transportation. Uh, you know, all of that is something we're offering uh, to do f- with them when they come here so that it's not just a, a discussion about something they, they can't envision or see. That We want them to see the route. We want them to see why it's important. We want to see the, the investment opportunities that are associated with this and the transportation connections that uh, it will uh, will help engineer. So uh, you're exactly right. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, that's exactly what we want to do, and that's exactly what we've been offering to do, and uh, we're hoping that we get that date sooner rather than later. I am too, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate, Appreciate your it. call. Thanks very much. Uh, we should remind uh, listeners that the, the, the Premier has been here, uh, a yeah. semi-official visit. I know he didn't want to meet to it with any elected officials, uh, but he did meet with business leaders and uh, and talk with a number of them, including Keenan Loomis from the president mm-hmm. of the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce and other business leaders. Now, I wasn't invited either, uh, surprisingly, <laughs> uh, but I do know from people that attended that the, the idea, the LRT file was discussed at mm-hmm. great length by a number of people that are advocating for this. So this is not foreign to him. He knows no, what's no. going on here. Yeah, and, and I, I, I've met with him as well. Shortly after the provincial election, we had a meeting in Toronto with the Premier, and uh, you know this LRT was the topic of discussion then as well. They were, you know, weeks into their mandate at that point. So, uh, you know, they're obviously, uh, you know, reluctant to, uh, to get too heavily into it because he wasn't really up to speed at that point. But uh, we, uh, we really want them to eyeball this thing. I mean, you know, seeing it, uh, you know, and understanding where, where the value is and understanding what the redevelopment opportunities are is really the, uh, the thing that we want them to uh, come here and, and envision and, uh, you know, get, get explained and have them understand that it's not the same as a Toronto transportation, uh, you know, investment. It's a different kind of investment that uh, is being done for two reasons, and not just not just for the transportation piece, but for the redevelopment that comes with it, which is a revenue-generating opportunity. And I would say that this government you know, is one that it is looking for at creating additional revenues, you know, reducing the pressure on taxpayers. And, uh, you know, what this project will do, will do exactly that, is to generate more revenue or reduce the pressure on taxpayers locally and provincially. You mentioned about the, uh, the the spending envelope, and the, the, the number that he keeps getting bandied about, of course, is $1 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a concern about cost overruns. There's a concern that maybe the cost of the project may have increased. Uh, that tends to happen the longer you delay these things. It certainly happened with the expressway projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you mentioned that they may want to tweak some of this stuff. Are you, are you being open-minded about the fact that they may come back and say uh, you can't build it from, from McMaster all the way to Eastgate? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to get into hypotheticals. I mean, uh, you know, basically the original, as you recall, the original uh, estimate uh, back then was $850 million yeah. for that, that whole route, the same exact same route, uh, going back now, you know, maybe 10 years. So they built in, a, you know, $150 million, you know, buffer in terms of the additional cost that might have accrued between that time and the time the, the announcement was made. And there, as I mentioned to you, there's an escalator built into that, into the, the agreement that allows for the inflationary costs based on, you know, 2014 dollars, you know, translated into whenever this project gets the full 
green light. So I, I think they've built in the right kind of contingencies that would allow, allow that to be covered through this project. But, you know, you don't know until you get the RFP done. And so you know, let's get that done, and then we'll, we can all talk about real numbers rather than, you know, hypothesizing about what could be or might be. We might find out that it comes in under a billion dollars and that there's more room to do more. And, you know, and, and then the question might be, well, you know, province, are you going to allow us to, you know, take the, you know, the, uh, you know, $150 million that it's under and, and give us, uh, you know, an opportunity to expand somewhere else in, in, the, in the system. So these are all hypotheticals until we actually get the RFPs uh, finalized. And right now we need, uh, we need that property freeze lifted, a, a green, you know, green light signal from the province that uh, this is a go. And then the, uh, the RFP process can, can get, uh, get done in earnest. And then we can all know what the numbers might be. I want to spend a few minutes talking about uh, the Red Hill and the concerns and, yep. and how this is really mushroomed from uh, the revelation, of course, that there was a report that was done years ago that was never presented to city council. I think we all know that now as a background. Mm-hmm. Uh, you count, as a council, have spent a lot of time last week talking about this, some of behind closed doors, and I understand there's some, some legal ramifications, I guess, that had to be discussed. Are you comfortable with the, res- the, the resolution that council came up with to basically get more information on this? Well, I think I think the resolution was that there's going to be an independent external investigation. That that's a that's a given. The question now is what does that look like? And I think the uh, I think it's reasonable that you know, given that we don't necessarily have the expertise in house and uh, and on council and, and on staff and and it needs to be independent. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. So having an external uh, you know expertise expert come in and tell us uh, you know what the uh, what the what that you know re- independent investigation should look like. What what should the scope be? Given the information that uh, he'll be given, I think is, uh, is an attempt to uh, not only uh, get, get the best advice on this issue, but also to be independent and not have it seen to be tainted by anyone's hands here at the city of Hamilton. And so I think, uh, I think those were wise and prudent steps to take. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, in due time, we'll get that, uh, that, that advice and then come out with, uh, you know, a clear, definitive decision on whether it's a judicial, uh, you know, investigation or whether it's an, an auditor general or if it's a retired judge or, and then different, define what the scope ought to be in terms of what, what should we be looking at and so that it doesn't become, you know, wide open to everything, but uh, narrowed and focused on this, uh, this instance and uh, what happened here, why did it happen the way it did, and how can we prevent it from happening again? Some of the uh, members of council seem to be backing away from this idea of judicial review and, and that, that rather, you know, generic, uh, let's, you know, a review by somebody at this stage. Why, why the hesitancy about judicial reviews? That, that seems to be uh, the protocol that most often can communities do when they're looking to, uh, to uh, get some information like this? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, there, there are differences in terms of, you know, when you trigger this kind of thing. So, uh, you know, when, when we're looking at the judicial review for property acquisitions in Mississauga, you know, some questions in terms of whether they were appropriately done between, uh, you know, the mayor of the day and her family, uh, those are complex, uh, you know, personal and possibly possibly criminal issues that, uh, you know, probably rise to the level of judicial inquiry. I think uh, we looked at uh, 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 Collingwood that had a similar kind of issue, some questions around property acquisition, and and uh, they went the same route. And, uh, and, and it, it, judicial reviews by nature are, are expensive. Uh, they're, they're long. 
uh, or can be long. And so, uh, you know, I think the worry is, uh, you know, are we going to be dragging this out for a long, long time to only come to, you know, a similar conclusion that might be done in a much speedier fashion? I think everyone wants a thorough look at what happened here and why did it happen and how can we prevent it in the future. We want it to be independent. My guess is that we'll probably end up at judicial review. Uh, but I think it's prudent for counsel to to get some good advice on that from some expert that uh, would understand and appreciate that this kind of thing, uh, you know, has the the, you know, the the requirement to kind of rise to that level. I th- I think we may end up there, but I think it's prudent for us to ask the question. Uh, part B of this is as another report the council got last week about uh, road safety on the Red Hill. Uh, and we already knew that the lighting was poor at the top of the hill. That, mm-hmm. I know you guys have discussed that over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and, and I, this report reiterates this. And, uh, and again, there was a revelation in this report, uh, Mr. Mayor, that, that suggested that you could have had better lighting right from the get-go uh, and that it was allowed, and, and yet staff apparently at that time kept telling you, the council of the day, no, you can't uh, for environmental reasons, et cetera. There are a list of things that they said at the time, uh, which led an awful lot of people that were reading this report, myself included, to suggest that it looks like another example where staff misled city council on what they could and couldn't do. It's possible, and uh, you know that's what a, that's what a you know inquiry or a judicial review would determine to find out. I think uh, you know council. You know, as as I as I read the you know, the council are, are pretty upset that uh, it, it appears that they've not been given information that uh, otherwise they they should have probably been given, given the concern that uh, has been been identified and and the, the lives that have been lost there for you know whatever reason. Uh, so it should have risen up to that level. I can tell you, though, Bill, and you know this, that there, there are hundreds of reports that are done in the city of Hamilton that never go to council. I mean, that's just kind of part of the everyday operations that uh, that happen in the city. You hire professionals and engineers and consultants and others to do this work, and those reports are done to operationalize all the things that need to happen in our city, and we never see them at council. But when a report identifies a significant potential problem on a roadway, that certainly should ring some bell with somebody and that you know that should be rising up to at senior management level for sure and uh, and, and I, I would I would say it, it, it's got to go to council at some point as it has now so what what happened in the recent months should have happened uh, you know many years ago uh, unfortunately that didn't happen and that's the that's the essence of why we should be having a good hard look at what happened here why didn't it rise up uh, who might be responsible for that and and how do we prevent that from the future well the report last week talked about lighting and, and again some quality concerns about the road itself uh, and it's the second time, as we mentioned, that there seems to be misinformation on council. I just, I, I know we're just about out of time. I'm just hoping that the staff are, are going through everybody's desk drawers there in that office and making sure there's nothing else that they need. They should be presenting to council. Yeah, I've talked to a number of councillors, and I'm sure you have too, Mr. Mayor, that said, "Look, their confidence is shaken right now." Yeah, and I think it's, it's their confidence in staff. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not painting all staff with the same brush here. I think we've got fantastic staff. I think the, you know, you know, 99.9% of the time they're doing the right thing. It seems like in this instance that, uh, that hasn't been the case. Um, I, I, there's am, am, ambiguity in this process as well, and I think that's a complicating factor. You know that there, it wasn't necessarily a conclusive, you know, uh, you know a report that said uh, you know it's 100% certain that there's a there's a condition here that needs to be looked after. But there was some ambiguity there that should have been followed through on, and we we we'd have a much clearer picture had had, had that been done then, as opposed to having to do it now. Now we're at the phase where you know we're in within months of uh, resurfacing that road, and so let's get on with that and make it, uh, you know, as good as it needs to be and uh, and then look at other issues like lighting and barriers and things that uh, might need be needed to uh, to make either further improvements so that we can make it as uh, functional a road as possible. 
Uh, we're out of time. Thanks so much. Uh, our apologies to those that we couldn't get to in the phones and emails, but uh, we'll uh, do this again in just a couple of weeks. Thank yeah. you, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for the callers, and thank you, Bill. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Parliament Hill still center stage uh, because of, uh, well, first of all, the essay in Lavalin, NSC rather, our Lavalin story that continues. Uh, what happened, what conversation took place between the Prime Minister and then uh, Justice Minister and Attorney General uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould? Well, we still don't quite have the answers to that, do we? Uh, there were a couple of motions presented by the opposition yesterday for an, uh, an, an inquiry. Uh, that was voted down by the majority of Liberals. Uh, and another one for the Prime Minister to actually lift the uh, the, the confidentiality uh, re- reference that he keeps talking about uh, that was essentially blocking uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould from speaking. That was also defeated. But uh, Jody Ro- Wilson-Raybould actually had something to say about that. She stood up in the Commons and, uh, first of all, said she was going to decline to vote on this because she had a conflict of interest, and then went on to say... I have um, said that I am seeking counsel on this matter of what I can and cannot say. I understand fully that Canadians want to know the truth and want transparency. Privilege and confidentiality are not mine to waive, and I hope that I have the opportunity to speak my truth. Uh, and with that, she pretty much tossed the ball right back to the Prime Minister, saying it's really up to him if uh, you want to go through with this and actually have her uh, speak what she wants to speak about and maybe add some clarity to this. Joining us to try to add some clarity to what we're seeing here over the last couple of days is Greg McEachern, Senior Vice President with Government Relations at Proof Strategies. Uh, Greg, first of all, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. You said I'm going to add clarity. I think you're really raising expectations <laughs> there. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning on you here, Greg. Come on. <laughs> uh, this this gets curiouser and curiouser with every day, and, and it seems to be dragging on. I know just a couple of seconds ago the Prime Minister did a Q&A about another announcement, but, of course, this is, this is what everybody seems to want to talk about. Are we ever going to get to the bottom of this? Um, I, from what I'm told is that this is not over by a long shot. Um, and, uh, so I think, you know, the fact that, uh, it, it, you know, as, as you said, yesterday was an eventful day, but so was the day before. And so yeah. was today with a big leak in the, in the Globe and Mail. And, uh, you know, it reminds me, um, you know, as an East coaster of the old line, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, you know, if you don't like the latest bit in this story, wait five minutes, something more is coming. And, and as an old communications guy, you know, one of the things about putting out a fire is, you know, you cut off the oxygen, you stop giving it fuel. And every day there's been some fuel on this, um, you know, with the very surprise um, revelation that she was, uh, she that um, former Minister Wilson-Raybould asked to speak to Cabinet and she was granted that. It took a while for them to agree to it. Did that surprise you? It, hugely, hugely surprised to me. To suggest because, that's unprecedented, I think, is an understatement, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, uh, traveled with a member of Parliament in 1988. Uh, I'm a very, very young man. I was 11 at the time. Uh, <laughs> and kidding, but I've been around politics for a long time. I have never seen anything like this. Um, I was with uh, some senior reporters last night uh, here in Ottawa, and they said the same thing. There's nothing like this. And, and in terms of being unprecedented, you know, once you walk away from Cabinet, you know, with some rare exceptions where people have taken, you know, kind of a time out. I can think of, you know, Jean Charest or, or David Colinet. Um, most people are done. That's it. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to say something at the cabinet table while you were a minister was probably where you had more influence, in my opinion. So very, very odd. 
and and what she said, well, the, the, I mean, let's face it, it was behind closed doors, but I mean, there are leaks all over the place. I mean, you wandered around the halls of Ottawa for long enough to know that uh, it's just a matter of who you're going to talk to, and somebody's going to kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We get the impression that I guess she gave her side of the story to to the to the cabinet. Uh, and, and maybe that's what we're going to hear when she appears before the committee. Uh, but I, I got the sense in some of the reporting that I've read uh, since uh, she did that, Greg, that a lot of the members uh, in the cabinet actually seemed a lot relieved as if, oh, that's what happened. I mean, and now they're not saying that, but I mean, Ralph Goodale, who uh, was one of the few people that spoke after the meeting, seemed to leave that impression that, okay, you know, the, the dust is cleared and we see that this was, I think, actually one of the classifications they used was just a bad misunderstanding. Yeah, and I think the difference here is, yes, there's lots of leaks and there's lots of stories, but cabinet is pretty tight. Um, as somebody who used to write memos for cabinet, you know, you, you take this very seriously. You're given a secret clearance. Some people have top secret clearances. And, um, you know, it, one of the challenges I think around the Hill is that a lot of times staffers are not briefed well enough on what their, their duties and responsibilities are. But at the senior level, you can't say that especially when you have to go through um, the, the process of getting a security clearance. So this story in the Globe and Mail today does put a bit of a different spin on it. And my question, and then this is something that your, your listeners may want to watch today, is that it seems that a, two stories now that have been very positive about uh, the former minister have now appeared in the Globe and Mail. And you know yourself as a journalist, if you're not one of those favorite journalists receiving those leaks, your bosses are telling you you have to match the story. Oh, yeah. There is going to be a level of annoyance that is growing on this. You know, if, if, if the member of parliament stands in her place in the House yesterday and says she wants to have the opportunity to speak her truth, but the truth seems to be coming out sourced, it, has to, it, it sounds like someone very close to, to, to uh, Wilson-Raybould. I, I, can't you see this really ticking off some of the press gallery? I, I can well, sure it can. I mean, and, and I know Robert Pfeiffer is a very well-respected journalist. He's been around the Hill for years and years and years in a number of different capacities, and he's with the Globe and Mail now. So, you know, good on him, I guess, for, for finding a source and, and going with this story right now. But you got to know that just about everybody else, I mean, the other guys that have been up there for years and years, the John Iversons and everyone else are thinking, you know, i got to get something out of this, too. So they're, I, they're, they're mining, I guess, right now, Greg, trying to get the, the scoop on what's going on here. Which yeah, is, you, you've got Richard Brennan coming up. I'd, yeah. I'd, be dying to know what Badger thinks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll ask him. It's it's awfully hard. You know Badger. It's hard to get a good opinion out of him. But you know, we'll t- <laughs> he's a very reticent young man. Yeah. yeah, he is. But listen, you you were there in the Martin era too, the Paul Martin era, uh, and and obviously with you know if you're going to play word association, you think oh my God sponsorship scandal, which was not really his doing, but. Yeah, the, then the Gomery Commission came out, and that and that dogged that government, and maybe it was, I think, a contributing factor, obviously, in their election loss in, in early 26. Uh, is this the same magnitude, Greg? Are we looking at the same sort of thing? I'm not sure it is as of yet. I'm not sure that the average Canadian is able to, um, and, and, and I'm, again, judging this from different different streeters, which are obviously not scientific, um, where, whether or not they quite understand what the impact is. Um, as well, the fact that the government appears to have been, let, let's just say, uh, I, as a former staffer, I, I can see how you can confuse pressure with due diligence. Um, you want to make sure that you've asked all the questions before a decision is made. But the fact that the government was asking those questions is going over very well in the province of Quebec where there are a lot of jo- jobs associated with this company. So this story is being covered very different 
in Quebec than it is in the rest of Canada. We seem to be obsessed with the personalities of it because it's, it's fascinating that, you know, someone that was obviously very close to the prime minister, he recruited her and there's something's gone awry. You know, our reality TV watching habits have trained us to be really interested in the personalities. It's not about the personalities in Quebec. It appears to be about business and about saving jobs. And those seats in Quebec are how are a very key path to re-election for the Liberals. And they're also a very key path for Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. They've been spending a lot of time in Quebec, hopefully to kind of recapture some of the seats that they used to have. The NDP, you know, did very well in Quebec in uh, in, in 2011 under Jack Layton, and that's what gave them official um, opposition status. Um, but they seem to be in a bit of freefall. So this, this, there's a, a couple of you know, nuances here that aren't quite uh, as cut and dried as this is a bad story for the Liberals. It's not necessarily a bad story for them um, regionally in Quebec. But it, but it is playing well. I mean, this is this is red meat for the opposition parties, and we saw that during question period over the last couple of days. Uh, they, they you know they they get their teeth into something like this, and they're not going to let go of it. You mentioned earlier. I used to use your metaphor. You got to you got to cut off the oxygen so this thing doesn't start to explode on them. How do you do that? Is is the, is the testimony from Wilson Raybould the the key to this thing? I, I think it is. I mean, the challenge is. Um, there's, this is self-inflicted. So to, to, you know, this is, in terms of Gomery, um, that's where I would draw the parallel. And, and I would say one of the, you know, criticisms I have of this government is that the biggest issues that they've had to deal with that have not been related to Donald Trump have been self-inflicted. Yeah. Aga Khan, the India trip, and now this. Um, and it's the, the opposition hasn't really been able to take a story. They, they tend to take it a little bit too far and push it right off the cliff. Um, and so it'll be interesting to, to, to see, uh, you know, what happens with, with this one, how the opposition handles it. Um, I noticed, uh, you know, last week in the deputy leader, uh, Lisa Raitt, um, you know, kind of admitted on a television interview that they would probably have the same approach to SNC-Lavalin. Again, they're being very mindful of, of potential support in, in Quebec. Well, it, and there's there's that gray area that a lot of us may not quite understand, uh, because obviously the opposition are going to try to inflate things. I mean, that's what opposition parties do. We, we, whoever's on the other side of the floor is going to try to make the most out of this. And and there's, there's the insinuation, of course, that the fact that there was a conversation between the prime minister and the justice minister about this file was crossing a line. And, and from a technical standpoint, I, I was talking to John Iverson about this the other day, Greg. He says, no, that's fine. Uh, you can do that. I mean, and as a matter of fact, he said they'd be derelict in their duty if they didn't talk exactly. about that because of the implications, not just exactly. in Quebec, but on a national basis. But, but you know, where did, if in fact, it, I, I, this is true, what we're, we're hearing is rumor at this stage, where did the minister get the idea that she was being pressured into making a decision or making a call on that? Or did that even happen? That seems to be the key. And, and, and until we get that resolved, I guess you're absolutely right. That oxygen is going to keep flowing into this. And if this discussion, this pressure happened in November, December, yet she was shuffled, but and then in January, but didn't resign until February, why the why the time differential? If there was an if the issue was in 2018, why did the resignation happen in 2019? That's a question I keep coming back to. What was the the, the turning point around this? I, I do think that the shuffle itself, the communications around it were, was not done well. I, I think if you and I had been talking that day and Jane Philpott had been sent to Veterans Affairs, the narrative would have been Philpott has done exceedingly well in her previous two portfolios. They're putting her in Veterans to, cl- to clean it up to fix it. There was nothing like that around her move, so it was viewed as a demotion. 
I, I, are we barking up the wrong tree here? I, you know, when, when the cabinet shuffle occurred, and, and obviously we, you know, we characterize this as a demotion, uh, I speculated, as a, a few others did at the time, that Meta had something to do with the Huawei circumstance, too, that really seemed to put the, the, the Canadian government between a rock and a hard place. Was, was it a cumulative thing then, you think, Greg, that maybe forced the prime minister into a move like this? Here's, here's my, my challenge, is that there were some... Uh, so the original story for this is a source story. There's an, it's anonymous. Yeah. On the weekend, Canadian press ran... So a source story as well that talked about some of her colleagues' feelings about how she operated, and it was negative. The backlash uh, against that story was huge in, in Ottawa. Um, what I just said to you about my question around the, the difference, I had a prominent former liberal on Twitter uh, accuse me of attacking former Minister Wilson Raybould by saying that, and I had a, a ton of Twitter trolls come after me uh, because of that. So there's a lot of sensitivities. But, uh, you know, people in Ottawa talk about cabinet ministers all the time, the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, I think the fact in itself that the narrative drove this as a demotion says a lot about uh, what people in Ottawa thought of, of, of how people were operating as cabinet ministers. I'll leave it at that. Because yet you could make an argument uh, that uh, actually Veterans Affairs was not a demotion. It's a it's a file, frankly, that needs an awful lot of work uh, that, that has been mishandled for a number of years, even before this administration took over. Yeah, full disclosure, you know, in my day job, I'm a lobbyist, and I've worked on a couple of military and veterans files. Uh, presently, I'm not. So I knew this file quite intimately under the previous government and at the beginning of this government. Um, veterans supported the Liberals I- Im- immensely in the yep. 2015 election. And there's a lot of noise now that they're very unhappy. So this, absolutely, you could have you know, proposed a narrative that we want a fresh face handling this file going into the 2019 election because we haven't forgotten you. There was lots of ways to communicate this. Uh, she's going to, well, she's scheduled anyway to testify. Uh, the, the key question here is, is she going to be unshackled? I mean, you, you've seen some of the media reports that say uh, today, uh, a lot of them, I guess, in the Toronto Sun and the National Post, uh, suggesting this whole idea about confidentiality is, is really just a ruse, that she's free to say whatever she wants. I'm not sure if that's the legal advice that she's getting, but that's that's another story that's out there that the government's going to have to deal with. Well, and, and that's something that she said herself, and obviously, you know, as a very qualified lawyer, was Canada's, you know, lawyer for, for quite a while. But yes, you know, the headline on CBC this morning, can she claim solicitor-client privilege, the jury's out. So we don't know. And, and if she, you know, originally she, she was very set that she, in terms of her understanding, but then she is also seeking legal advice. So that, I guess, does add a little another wrinkle to it. Perhaps, you know, she's not entirely sure. I heard a theory yesterday that she could say whatever she wanted while standing in her seat in the House of Commons because she would be protected. It's uh, going to be an interesting week. Uh, never dull on the hill, is it? Never. I, yes, but I've never seen anything like this. It's, it's, you know, someone said to me, you know, it's like the there's someone in the foxhole and you're not sure who they're shooting at. Well, and uh, I, I'm sure they're cognizant of the fact that there's an election later this year. You don't want this thing hanging around. No, not at all. And, you know, something that may be of interest to your, to your listeners is that yesterday the, uh, the date for the federal budget was revealed, yeah. which will be March 19th, and that uh, although the Liberals have not as been as successful as the, the, the Harper government in terms of, you know, communicating budgets, you know, I, I think of Jim Flaherty's when he, you know, eliminated the penny as something that, you know, very memorable, but that, that may be something that changes the channel, but that's a month away.
Exactly. Greg, thanks so much for this. You did shed some light on this. So we're, just, so we're, we're good. We're better than we were, I hope, until probably five minutes from now when something else happens up there, right? You're very kind. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much. Greg McKechnie, of course, uh, with uh, Proof Strategies. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.